Hello, my friends, and welcome to Jorgensen Soundbox, a sandbox of sounds. My uh, favorite conversations are always laughing and learning at the same time, so that's what I'm trying to do for you here. Uh, I'd like to uh, introduce you to people outside the normal podcast guest circuit, bring you along on my learning journey, and make sure we all enjoy the ride. And uh, some of the topics I'm, I'm kind of currently exploring here, Web3, uh, covering DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse, trying to put money to work, angel investing, permanent equity, real estate, and some stocks, exploring leverage, the art of increasing your outcomes, talking to some course creators, this new wave of practical education happening globally, and uh, things like today, where I'm just talking to smart friends and understanding their careers and seeing what they can teach me. Um, this conversation with with Sky King is full of gems like the money ball of podcasting, um, how starting a personal corporation actually is what gets you in the game, um, and how Sky uses leverage to run two companies at once. Um, the man's like a mini Jack Dorsey. Plus, at the end of the episode, uh, you get conspiracy theories about the Winklevi twins, and you can find out what uh, Sky likes to do to his tofu, which is which is weird and surprising. Um, and you might not like it, but you'll hear it anyway. So rather than uh, get sponsors, I, I'd rather just like tell you about my own products. Um, so if you like this conversation, you'll definitely enjoy my book, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, if you haven't picked that up, uh, and my course and community called Building a Mountain of Leverage. Um, we're helping people increase their impact um, through the methodical application and compounding of leverage. So you can get those uh, and join my email list, free email list at ejorgensen.com. I'm, I'm super inter- excited to uh, introduce you to Sky. I'm super excited to introduce you to Sky. Like many great modern friendships, uh, I met him on Twitter and we bullshitted about some science fiction and some memes. Uh, and then when he saw how terrible my first attempt at self-publishing a podcast was, he reached out to give me some helpful advice. We had a great conversation, became fast friends. He's he's an OG in the podcast space, the founder of Modern Stoa, an agency for podcast monetization. But what really inspired me was his vision for creating and funding media in ways that actually aligns companies with creators and with the audience. Uh, I'm a proud customer myself, and I think you're really going to like hearing him talk through his process. This conversation has has more about that mission, um, but it starts with exploring the depths of Sky's favorite sci-fi book, Dune, and why it may be the perfect prescription for imposter syndrome, um, which I thought was very brilliant. Uh, it has a whole story of his leap of faith uh, from big pharma to starting at the bottom in the podcast world. And now we're here. I invite you to take a deep breath, enjoy our conversation arriving at your ears in three, two, one. Yo. What's up, man? Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. This will be fun. Yeah, I'm super hyped. Sky King, the podcaster master. Welcome to my very first ever episode. Uh, And it's super, super fitting that you are the first guest because you are also the only reason that this podcast exists in any sort of professional capacity. Um, thank you for all of the work you did to help me set this thing up and like make sure that it was findable and beautiful. And if you've listened to an episode of this podcast, it is because of Sky. So you already owe him and you didn't even know it. Appreciate appreciate the kind words. But I mean, dude, you also had, you know, your audio editor and you have all the work you did for the book and you have Jack <laughs> on the images. So like, 
I just helped a little bit with marketing. Yeah, and uh, and we'll be a part of a lot of stuff going forward. Um, so I, I thought a good place to start would be uh, the thing that like brought us together in the first place, um, which is Dune. I, th- I think the first... I might have followed you for a while. I don't know. But the first like time we interacted on Twitter was when I posted something about like, do I really need to read Dune? And you responded with, uh, Dune is well worth your time if you are interested in power, fear, what it means to be human, psychedelics, and scarce resources with like sub bullets under each of those. Um, and I know that that's been just like a super, super formative book for you. Yeah, Dune absolutely changed my life. That was definitely like, I, I don't think you'd followed me, but I'd followed you for a bit. I think from all the next stuff and I'd heard you on podcasts and stuff. And then like that Dune question, and I was like, yes, this guy has got to read Dune. And like, I, it's so funny because like I spent years trying to get people to read Dune and like literally nobody read it. It was in the last, it's, I think like the book kind of motivated some people where I just got better friends. But in like the last year, I've had like, you know, like some quite a few people now start to read it. And it's just amazing. Like, I think it's one of the like greatest characteristics of world building. Um, one of the mm-hmm. crazy things that I learned recently was that Paul Stamets, are you familiar with him? No. So he's called Mycelian Running. He is like a mushroom researcher. He has like, um, and when I say mushroom, I don't mean like psychedelics, I mean like mushrooms in general. He has, um, he has a ton of patents with like the defense department, like all this crazy stuff because they were able to use mushroom extract and like different, like cleaning up the environment to like getting rid of pests to like cleaning up like nuclear waste, like all of this crazy stuff he's done. And him and Frank Herbert used to go and like search for stuff together. And a lot of his oh. concepts of Dune came from that, which is crazy. That's amazing. I like, it is such you're right it was totally like worth getting through some of the early world building stuff and that once the action picks up in that book like it just goes um and like the number of times when i felt like i just even though i was in the middle of like what was reading like an action scene just got this kind of like dose of wisdom of like timeless knowledge um it just happened so many times in that book dude it's so applicable to like anybody who's in personal development anybody who's self reflective Anybody who's trying to run a business, anybody who's thinking about kind of society at a larger scale, because those are the questions that like the main character is constantly reflecting on and dealing with and working through. And like there's a lot of strategy here. Like again, it's not just like, oh, let me reflect on it. It's like, no, this is actually how you do it. And I feel like you looked at nature a lot to learn of that. Like there's this huge ecological piece. And I think that we have so much to learn from nature because we are of nature. Um, but like, just, you know, like we're, we're, we're building machines right now. Like we're passing evolution at a rate that was impossible before. And I think that like, we need to look to nature to help guide those decisions because they've been doing the work for like millions of years. And I think Dune really helps set that, like that's that view. And it's when you have something in a narrative versus just like reading a book, I think it just goes deep into the soul. Like it hits like a subconscious level, you know? Yeah, and it like sticks with you. Like those lessons, you you could read the same words, um, but without the narrative to like pound it home and for you to find a way to relate to that lesson. Um, yeah, it just kind of slips by. So are you are you excited for the the coming movie or no? Um, yeah, I'm so hyped, man. One because like again, bringing it to a, I think it's a really important book to be brought to the cultural front. Like I think it has a lot of the answers or at least questions that like we need to be thinking about. And like another one too, as we kind of integrate more into technology, is it kind of exists in this like 
post AI world in a sense, where like the hardware becomes wetware again. So I'm super stoked, and like the cast is amazing. Like Hans Zimmer doing the audio alone and like the music and stuff is going to be so sick. Um, it kind of sucks because it's split into two parts and it's already been delayed a year because of COVID. So like we're not going to get through the whole story until like 2023 probably. But yeah, I was uh, I was excited when I saw the trailer, and that's what motivated me to read the book in a hurry. And now I'm like actually even more psyched and I'm glad they're taking the time to do it because it's a huge there's so much that happens um, and it might make even a better series than a movie but um, yeah, dude so like the um, the foundation are you familiar with it mm-hmm. yeah Asimov. so Apple is making that into like an actual like Game of Thrones series on Apple Plus I really wish they went that route with Dune like I wish HBO got the Dune rights and like we're building this like mega series because you could go forever because you have I mean he wrote ton of books then his son brian took over and they did like the prologue like there's so much to go into but i think that might come after you know like i think we could have a whole like marvel universe of dune whoa cool yeah i haven't i've only read the first one um but i know there's i mean 10 more in the series or something like that it like yeah there's a lot i like <laughs> i tend to focus on the first three then they go to like there's like a basically a six book series though but then there's also like different worlds, different perspectives. There's three prologue ones as well, um, which are actually quite good. So, cool, yeah. very cool. Um, like, that still sticks out for for you from it. That like not to put you on the spot, but no, I think the um, I think the biggest thing that like or the, the maybe the thing that they wrestle with the most is like. Paul's like the conflict that Paul has is the main character between the kind of like how he's perceived and how he feels on the inside. And he's like taking over this kind of role as like a prophet almost. But he's like, I'm just like a normal guy, but all these people think I'm a prophet, but that's in service of this other thing like that, that I do want and can keep driving towards. Um, it's like imposter syndrome, like writ large on a planetary scale, like which is just a cool thing. What about yours? Well, like just like to go off that a little bit, one of the quotes that I love the most, and I'm paraphrasing generally, is like, like one has to become aware of the myth that they are in in order to like ride that myth. And I think that's like, you know, any amount of momentum that you have or like Paul has, you have to get past that imposter syndrome and embrace the myth or the story that you're in in that time in order to really achieve anything, you know, or else you just like put the brakes on, fall off. And you know, I think Paul does a really good job of moving from that place of I'm a little boy. Like literally, we start with he's a child, and then yeah. short amount chronological time later, he's almost a god. And it's just like that, you know, dealing with that process. You know, we start with him being named a human to like now he is, you know. Yeah. It's I mean, super classic like hero's journey of like low agency to super, super high agency. Um and the the, I mean, he's also like it's a, it's also an epic kind of training montage, which I love, and is happening like constantly throughout the book. So he's always like very intentionally leveling up or choosing to level up. Um, and I actually before I read, I started reading the book. I didn't know I had heard the litany against fear, but I didn't know it came from Dune. And so, okay. there's a, so there's a few times where I was kind of like, oh, this is where this came from. Like, no wonder this is such a like legendary book. Yeah, I used to make t-shirts with the whole litany on it and like fears the mind killer on the side. So like that like helped me through. I used to have like really bad panic attacks and that actually like was my mantra of just like centering. Yeah. 
That's really cool. Um, do you still, I want one of those t-shirts. Do you still have them? Uh, I'll see. I think like my Shopify <laughs> store kind of exists still, so I'll send you one. Cool. Yeah. Go for new ones, though. Honestly. I mean, it's yeah, it's so um, it's such a good thing, and and I mean, like, even the concept of a litany to like remind yourself and have a mantra um, and just get recentered, and um, yeah, the book starts real early with that and the power of it. And it's just keeps going. Yeah, I think that's one thing that we've kind of missed out on. As like, I don't know what your religious standpoint is, but as we've secularized culture a lot, you know, because a lot of these tools were in religion, um, mm-hmm. were in these different like quotes, you know, prayers, like the prayers kind of a litany, like something you say to yourself. And I think we kind of like, it got kind of corrupted by Western culture. So this is really in a lot of ways as that like book of wisdom. Yeah. That, that, I think it's so interesting when you see like all of the personal development work as people like reconstructing so much of what religion has figured out in a secular way of like, oh, we should try intermittent fasting. It's like, yeah, there's a reason there's like fasting religious holidays and we should try meditation. It's like, oh, there's a reason that they've been praying every day or five times a day or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like, it's like, it's weird because we're kind of like reinventing the wheel, but I actually think there's some sort of benefit to do it in the secular way because like there's also the parts where, that were like, oh, that didn't really have a benefit. Like that was just some dude who wanted some power here. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I like brought in and I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing a really good job. Um, kind of controversial figure, but like Jordan Peterson being one of them, of who like taking those lessons, distilling them, and then like showcasing them to people. Because yeah, it is like, like dude, if you again, if you follow like the Ten Commandments, like you're probably going to have a chill life. And if like you do the opposite of those things, you probably will experience all on earth. Yeah, and, and but not for very long. <laughs> things will go very poorly very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So let's uh, let's get into like you and your story and. Um, I'm really glad to be like doing a podcast with you because you're you're like the podcast master. Um, so before we do, uh, I want you to kind of lay out like which, what you're doing right now and where you're at, um, and maybe like why you love what you're doing and and podcasts in general because I think um, it's a huge emerging medium. It's still getting bigger, but it still feels like kind of a subculture. Um, but it, it, I, like it's such an interesting world, and I love that we both live in it. Um, so yeah, what 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 is what are you working on now, and and why are you so into it? Yes. So right now, what I do is I help podcasters monetize and grow their platform. And I got into this space and specifically around the monetization space because I think that it is. I think you know, once it continues to scale, I think it's like the most optimum place to increase sincerity in media and decrease the influence of advertisers. So kind of counterintuitively, I'm working on podcast advertising and monetization, like very, very focused on that. And like the way that I've set up the company and work with my clients is that I am a drawbridge between you and the brands. I don't represent any brands. I represent the podcasters. They, in my mind, again, it's like it's trying to build this bridge. And my story kind of started with like around 2016. Um, I was working for a big pharma company and I was watching the 2016 election unfold. And I grew up in Kauai, California, lived in New York, but I was going to school in Indiana and I just graduated from college. Um, 
I went to an all-male school called Wabash College, which is like, that's a whole story in itself. But I was going back and forth between New York and Indiana, commuting a lot. And I was witnessing like the different narratives going on around the 2016 election. So everybody in New York was like, there's literally no shot Trump wins. Everyone in California was like, there's literally no shot Trump wins. And then I'm out here in Indiana just being like, everyone here believes the opposite. And I remember being like, oh, this is weird. And this is like very confusing. And like the news seems like they're pretty sure about what's going on. But like I'm seeing a lot of different stuff in middle America. And then I started hearing kind of that narrative that I was seeing, like the reality I was seeing and trying to make sense of being represented by podcasters. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And then I read this book called The Brass Check by Ryan, by uh, Upton Sinclair. It's the same dude who wrote um, The Journal. That's what he's most famous for. And so this book is by far the most powerful book life-shifting book. Like This is my Quake book, if you will. Mm. Like Even more than Dune, I don't love it as much as Dune. What it did is it really opened my eyes up to what was going on in 2016. And if you really like revert back, like essentially what happened is... Um, so like, I'm very liberal. My family's very liberal. And all of the liberal media was almost like 40 to 70% of the time just saying what Trump said constantly, mm. even before he was like had a chance in the primary. And what that allowed to happen is Trump to become a, mo- a movement and a wave. And they then like, it was all these middle American and like rural people and on the coast too, but rural coasts to react to this like liberal narrative. And they would just run with Trump because he's an asshole, you know, like, oh, it's like kind of the thing that was going on. And, uh, and they're making a lot of money doing it. And Trump was making money doing it. His campaign was net positive until the end of the primary, which is like unheard of because he was just getting massive free publicity. And I was like, became very aware in that moment, like, oh, the incentive structure that we have right now is not serving the outcome that we want. So I don't even care like who gets elected, to be honest, but I know the left wing people don't want Trump to be elected. And I'm doing air quotes for people, but the way that they're behaving in the world was going to get him elected and did. Yeah. And so I was like, this is fascinating. And so reading this book was like, so it's called The Brass Check because essentially the way our business model is set up, and this book was written in 1914, far before Facebook, far before all this became kind of more common knowledge. And like your audience might be aware of this, but essentially right now the media business model we have is the media is no longer the product. The consumer is the product. The media is just a middleman selling the attention. And then the buyer is the advertiser. And so that is one, an unelegant system. Like there's friction there. There's too many people at play. There's a, there's a massive middleman and it's the wrong person. Like the middleman shouldn't be the, the creator. The creator's yeah. content. But this was like very aware and this is what the book really pushed back in 1914. We see it so clearly and obvious today with like Facebook and everybody using our data like crazy and they can build these beautiful pictures or sonas of who we are and then sell that. But then it became like very clear to me. And when I looked at the places where people respected their audience the most, it was the same place where advertising had the least amount of influence, which was podcasting. Because Joe Rogan has, you know, two other people as AJ and Jamie on the team doing the same numbers as CNN sometimes. So like when they lose an advertiser, they don't care. It doesn't matter. And it's plenty to come. Whereas, you know, Washington Post loses an advertiser, or if like Jeff Bezos is upset at something, like it's a big deal. People get fired, like 
their lives get ruined and there's like high consequence. And so I was like, okay, the monetization system is broken. So I was working this big pharma job, basically emailed this author who I was kind of obsessed with. He's, he sent me this like list of 10 books to read about media to go deeper into it, brass checking one of them. Another one being um, The Image by uh, Old Bornstein, phenomenal book. Um, Amusing Ourselves to Death, also great. Mm. And like a few others, those are my top three from it. And Daniel Bornstein was like the librarian for the Library of Congress, like how the time I'm from. And it was like, that book is phenomenal. And then yeah, Amusing Ourselves to Death is like very, very pertinent to today. So I'm like digesting this, working in this big pharma job, doing global pricing, global branding. So it was super cool. I worked in oncology, which was devastating. I had to interview, you know, hundreds of metastatic breast cancer patients, learn about their story, become very empathetic with it. Everybody that I worked with really wanted to help them. But then also would then go interview the payers of these healthcare systems and the stuff that they would say, like, I don't know if I'm going to say it, but it was insane. And it created so much sadness within me to see how our systems were incentivized and it was not for health. And then yeah. it also interviewed doctors and I was like blown away by how bad the doctors are. And like, again, there's some sort of a bias there because these doctors, for whatever reason, are willing to take $400 to do an interview with us. So that might, there might be like a lower caliber there, but I was incredibly bombed at that system. And so I focused more on global. So what my team and I would do is we would go to these uh, mostly European nations with single payer healthcare systems and we would negotiate with them actually. And drug prices ended up being, you know, somewhere between half to one tenth of the price at those places. And we're talking like cancer drugs. So we're talking a lot of money. Um, and that was like a phenomenal experience, but I've almost taken no pharmaceutical drugs. So it was not like, my scene and I'm emailing Ryan. I basically was like, dude, I want to build this company that helps. I think podcasting is the platform. And I think that we can build a, t- a platform like a technology to allow podcasters to monetize without advertising. And he was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what's my first step? And he was like, you should go like look at Gary V's team. And I'm actually quite close to people on his team now. But at the time I was like, man, I just watched him interview you. For conspiracy and that was awful. He was like, give it a give it a shot. So I watched the next podcast and on it, it's Aubrey Marcus, who co-founded um, this company on it with Joe Rogan. He's really close to Tim Ferriss, like very or was it like is I don't know, I don't want to make make comment there, but uh, <laughs> like at the time they were very close. Like Ferris said he was one of the five people he would want to spend time with when he was asking that question with Aubrey. And I just listening to Aubrey on Gary V and all of a sudden Aubrey says like my mom lost to Billie Jean King at Wimbledon in the semifinals of Wimbledon. And so my last name's King. Um, my dad and was married to Billie for 25 years. I lived with her in New York for three years. So I'm immediately like, yo, Billie, who is this woman? I need to get in contact. And she was basically like, cool, find her number. I'll talk to her. Yada, 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 stuff happens. Aubrey's like, cool, I'll, do an, I'll interview you. And so I eventually like, Come down, I like take a few days off work, go down to Austin, interview with Aubrey. And he was like, I don't have a job for you. You seem smart. I like, we had like a 90 minute interview. I was going like in on all the stuff I wanted to do for his podcast, how important I think podcasting is, like all this stuff. He's like, cool, I don't have a job for you. If you want to go work the front desk at the Onnit gym and make smoothies, you can. So, you know, I quit my like big boy, like very good job with like going to get my MBA through them, like all this stuff, like doing incredibly well to go make smoothies at a gym with basically no promise. Like, we'll see if it works out. So that was like my, uh, as like 
your hero's journey. Your yeah, yeah, that was the salto mortale, right? Like the <laughs> um, and so yeah, the call to adventure, if you will. So then I I did that, and my girlfriend came down with we, me. We moved into this like horrible apartment that was close to on it. I could just like walk to work, and I just grinded. So I started working at like the front desk, saying yes to everything, just grinding, doing my podcast on the side, trying to meet as many people as possible. And then it's a very fun, like intense, but like uh, healthy environment, which was like really cool because I was going from the Midwest to that. And I really wanted that. And so eventually the I'm like in the sauna with a VP of marketing at the time. And he was like, oh, what did you do before? I tell him, he's like, why are you making smoothies? Like come to work for me tomorrow, like essentially. He's like, send me your resume. So then I like eventually come over. So now I'm doing the front desk and like a intern, but like running this like Alexa project for podcasts for on it. And Aubrey sees that and he calls me into his office. Like, I thought you want to work for me. I'm like, yeah, like you got <laughs> like, you want to work for me still? I'm like, yeah, he's like, okay, hold tight. So now I'm working like these two gigs. I'm literally doing like 60 to 80 hours a week, making $0, just giving up my time. Just like yeah. hope this works out. Like just every day it's like, God, what am I like doing? But also super stoked. because I'm meeting the people, you know, that I've been listening to forever. And Eventually, so that I moved down in October, like the last week of September, early October. And by, I think it was G, by November, I got pulled into the marketing team. And then by January, Aubrey's like, okay, I'm ready. And he fired like three people from his team. And he was like, you do all of their jobs. And so... This is 2017? This is 2018. Okay, 2018. You're like actually now started with like, learn the mechanics of podcasting and working for Aubrey. Yep. So with Aubrey, we, you know, we're putting out a podcast or two a week. Um, doing, I've been doing social media marketing for different people and different influencers from 2011 is my first time I started like a social media marketing company. Um, so I was like also helping him a lot there. I be kind of became him on all the different internet channels, kind of making them all work together, trying to leverage on it, like just being this person to try and build. Him up, and we ended up going from around eight hundred thousand downloads a month when I first started to about one point two million downloads a month at the peak um, in a very short amount of time. It took about like six months. And then I also he was not monetizing his podcast at all, but his best friend Kyle Kingsbury. You know, again, I'm just looking for ins into the industry, more like more stuff to do, more stuff to do. And Kyle's desk was behind mine. Kyle was you know top one percent podcaster, twenty five thousand downloads an episode. Um, very notable in the space, especially in like the health and wellness space. And so I was like, let's do it. Um, he was like, I need somebody to do ads for me. I'm like, I had no idea how to do that. The dude next to me had run like a, used to sell ads for a Austin fit. It's a magazine here. Shout out to Alex. So he founded that, then got bought by on it, came over to on it. So he just like walked me through how to sell advertising, like really quickly, like back in the napkin. And I just went out and I was able to build a business for Kyle off the bat that like, Basically, it was like doubled his ability to make money, even though he's being paid well by on it. And then uh, Aubrey saw that again, and he was like, "Can you do that for me?" And so then Aubrey and I built this like ads business that did very well, very fast. And uh, and so yeah, tons of learning. Met super dope people. Did a lot of inner work during that time. And then come twenty end of twenty nineteen. Um, Aubrey was like, you're coming with me. Like, I know you, because we've always, he's always been like, I know you want to start a company. I know you want to like build things. He's like, I will help you start your company. I'll be your first client. Let's do this. Like, start now. And so, another like call to adventure. So, like, this is, 
you know, I start getting really excited. I'm like planning, like I've always wanted to, you know, be able to work from wherever I want. So I'm like going to go spend three months in Amsterdam and like work, run my podcast business from there and just like really enjoy myself, like looking at Airbnbs. And then, so that's like February, late February, fly to California. I start to like, you know, be on Twitter, start to see a lot of stuff about this COVID thing. And, uh, I'm like flying February 28th and flying to California for my mom's birthday. I'm starting to see people wear masks and stuff. I'm like, oh, something's something's amiss here. And then like March 7th, like I just started my company, like technically on my own, like a week before the world shuts down. Um, and then podcasting for the first time since Serial, the rate at which the growth was happening decreases. So it was like, oh, interesting, because the commute went away. But with the commute going away, it was actually a huge blessing because radio died. And all the advertisers switched from radio to podcasting. And so then I was starting to able to fill people. And so I went from, you know, Kyle and Aubrey in March, adding like two more by April. And then to now we have like 13 with like most of them coming on pretty early. And it was just like this like very lucky, very powerful moment. Um and that's kind of been my journey to really I was focused on monetization then um, to kind of bring it full circle. Started doing a lot of growth stuff because I found that I do have a lot of um, tools there. And if I can teach the right people how to do it, um, I think that we can really start to shift how, how we grow podcasts because you know it's really difficult without like with a low discoverability feature. And I think, yeah, I mentioned this earlier, but we're like really working on a lot of the analytics behind it and trying to build yeah. Moneyball podcasting, which I'm incredibly hyped about. We're starting to get some of the early um, regression analysis out of that. And it's really, really cool to see. So, and then like even more full circle, just came back from the Bitcoin conference and like really trying to see now how I build that platform that truly allows the creator to monetize their audience directly, but in a way that, because like Patreon's never going to beat Facebook. Like that's impossible. You know, you're not going to win on a subscription model. But I think that we can build something where we gamify it in such a way that the audience is like dying to to give payments to the creators to be seen, to feel heard, to win, to compete, to do do all these things. And so that's really where like this is the idea I had when I emailed Ryan in 2016. Mm. Now it feels like more than ever is the time that this is real and can happen. So do you see that going like in the far future? Do you see it going towards um, something like like Spotify where the ads are just blank and like there's almost a Facebook bidding process for ad space in different different podcasts? So like my goal is for there to be zero ads. So a little background. Um, Himalaya, the biggest podcasting platform in the world. 2017, the entire US podcast market was $700 million in revenue. Uh, Himalaya was, and it's spelled like XI, Himalaya, kind of like Himalaya. Um, it was $5.2 billion with zero ads. And I'm thinking like the closest thing we have in existence to this right now would be like a Twitch. But I think there's a way that we can do something like way better. That's, it's, it is wild how early days we still are in in podcasting. Um, like we we all I think it was everybody's aware of it when it was really small. And so even though it's way bigger than it used to be, it hasn't changed so materially that people have like shifted into thinking that it's like 
going to be a pervasive global medium yet. Dude, we're still so early in media. Like, we're so early relative to like if you look when you when you zoom out, you know, look at it on a zoom scale, look at it like a societal scale, like media that like has hit more than you know like the Dunbar's number of people. We're a fu- like we are one second into this timeline. Like the winners have not been decided. The game hasn't even started. Like we are just starting. Like as we integrate more into machines, as we start to understand technology better, as we globalize. Like right now, the financial system is now getting to the last mile, right? Like, or it's starting to with some of these, like, like the strike project I was talking about earlier, where like we now, you know, 70% of El Salvador's bankless, but they can have a Bitcoin wallet. So, like, the finance system's starting to get to that last mile, but the media system still isn't there. And Facebook is kind of in those things, but that's just like the worst incentive structure we could ever have reaching their fingertips into here. And again, that is the first touch on the internet that these people are having is through Facebook. And again, it's touch number one. Like, we are so early in how we interact online, how we interact through technology, and then also how we monetize that. And so in podcast specific, we're deeply early. You know, like this is, it transforms all the time. You look at what Apple and Spotify are doing. They're trying to take it the way of TV and radio. But like, I'm way more into like what Twitch is doing, what YouTube is doing and how they're thinking about media. Because like, when is the last time you saw like a two-year-old on Spotify, but I see her on Apple, but I see two-year-olds on YouTube every day. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and it takes a lot of. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, the theme there may just be like all of these. It, it becomes much more of a meritocracy when it's an open platform and everyone is contributing to it, and it allows for like much greater niches, um, and like that uniqueness of the ecosystem, um, the heterogeneity of the ecosystem tends to mean that like anybody can find their own exciting thing, and it adapts so much more quickly. Yeah, and it's 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 absolutely beautiful. Like I would want creators to truly have the capacity to have the thousand true fan thing and live a very, very, very comfortable life without having t-shirts, courses, like all this extra stuff. Like I really want them to be able to just be themselves to a thousand people and have that, you know, be like a six-figure income that they can like exist on. And I think that's where we'll start to see so much more like emergent technology and creativity is through these communities. Who can fund creators to be creative as opposed to funding creators to sell them bullshit. Yeah. Like when we can do that at scale, like the creativity, like the software that's going to come out of that in these micro communities. Like imagine if like software companies were building for a thousand people, you know, they're building software for people who had read the Nevalman Act. And it's like, okay, we're going to build all of our processes with like the lessons we learned in here or like, you know, in leverage. Like we're going to go through and be like, our entire software is just to help this community of thousand creators use leverage more like that's purely the incentive like that's our goal you yeah. know starts creating these ecosystems where we can make a really exciting world you know it's the opposite of that like dystopian blob everyone's the same like just taking drugs to like numb our senses kind of thing it's like no like we're all hyper individuals and you choose where we get our media and we like are stoked and it's nice because it becomes just an anti-fragile system because everything's hyper decentralized so stuff starts to go awry in a certain place like doesn't really affect the whole the whole shit yeah that's super super interesting it's like the the i was trying to come up with the uh sci-fi that's like the opposite of the gattaca vision um like what is the sci-fi that has the most unique decentralized um culture maybe and the most unique individuals 
Dude, I, I don't know because like we're, since we speak English, like it, it tends to be the thing they write about is the opposite of that coming true because mm-hmm. that's where our inherent fear lies is people who tend to be a little bit more individualistic. You know, there might be some like really interesting Chinese sci-fi, which probably not because, you know, they don't get to write a lot of interesting things. Uh, no offense. I mean, Three Body Problem was amazing. Dude, that is super interesting for sure. But even yeah. then, it's talking about telling the party line while telling the party line. <laughs> that sense of like, hey, don't don't ask that question. Don't say that thing. Like the whole like work up to it is her like worrying about the party line. You know what I'm saying? So let me, uh, okay, let's go back to like 2018. Um, and let me like try to recap and and reset. So we've got 2018, you start working for Aubrey and Kyle and you're like doing, you're basically like monetizing and growing their podcast for them, which is like what you will eventually go on to set up your own company doing, um, which is like learning that skill kind of on their behalf. Um, so they got the audience set up and they just don't have this skill. And frankly, like probably back then, like very few, if any people had that skill. Um, I think you were like, one of the very early people kind of self-teaching this kind of incredible like way to monetize this totally new or still emerging medium. Um so so how like how different is life now that you're like what what was the threshold like between basically working for those two guys versus like you have set up your own company now, but those are still your main two clients. So if we want to get into like more leverage things, right? Like, so now I have to spend so much less time on actually doing it, right? So not only then was I coming up with the strategy and working with them on the strategy, cold calling the brands, finding brands that the audience would resonate with, doing the negotiations. I was also like creating the posts, like writing the copy for the for the podcast posts and then the stuff and picking the clips we would use to promote the podcast. Like mm-hmm. I was doing everything. So that was brutal. And, you know, into the beginning of COVID, I was doing everything then too, because everything was scary. And so then I started really, like, really as fast as I could, but also as thoroughly as I could, finding team members to help me have the freedom to where now what I do today is, you know, like right now, my goal is to get the amount of actual, like, work I spend doing on this specifically to five hours a week. Well, I've had, we have like way more clients we've ever done, had like way more revenue, like a lot more going on. But like, that's my goal because I want to be able to build this next project in tandem. And that's going to take like 40 to 50 hours a week. So it's like, this is what I'm working towards. So like, I've literally built out my plan through June to get me to that point. But to be honest, I'm not that far off just like naturally. Interesting. So, like, so the reason you went out on your own is that then you were in a position to maybe go set up. Then you could start hiring people, like splitting out tasks. Um, and I mean, I've heard you like walk through your process before, and it's like, I mean, it's a machine. It's super impressive. Like all of the things that you can keep rolling at the same time. Yeah. So like I, so my dad was an entrepreneur. Um, always never been about trading time for money. Like never been the goal. And so. But like honestly, like if I really zone in on when this switch happened, it really happened when I set up my company as an escort. And then I started to think, and I, I legitimately believe this, and this is gonna sound incredibly rude to some people. You're not an American citizen unless you're an LLC or an escort. And then you become a citizen. Because like you're not in the game. 
Because if you're an employee, like no matter what your salary is, you're selling your time for money. Like the ball talks about this all the time, right? Yeah. More than that, what you're trying to achieve in the world isn't is something that you have to pay for. When you're an S corp, it's something that is goes against your taxes and what you pay to the government. So you automatically have so much more freedom to play the game, and you start to think about finances completely differently. And so, like priorities for me, like one of them was like as high of a lever, like as big of a lever as I could get, right? Like how much movement can I have? And I still feel, you know, like I'm always thinking of myself, like competing with like Vitalik or Elon, where it's like, God, I'm so low agency, so inefficient, like such a loser. Um, Because like that's the aspirational thing. And like one thing, even when I was working at Lily, I always told myself is like, okay, I'm nowhere near as smart as Elon or Vitalik, but I'm not dumb. And Elon has the same, unless he has multiple clones, like has the same amount of time that I have. I'm doing something wrong. And so like everything I've been working towards is just trying to become like more impactful with each minute. You know, Ray Dalio goes through this and you know, it's in the course, which is awesome, where he talks about like he's trying to get, you know, like 15 minutes of meeting time for like eight hours of work. Like really building into those numbers, what they look like, and actually like writing that down, setting that as a goal and figuring out the systems to do it. Like that's basically what I've just been working on for the last year, like implementing that, implementing that, implementing that. And that's what's going to get me to that five hour point. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. (laughs) I mean, I think that's, uh, I don't remember either, but I think it's an awesome, I went through a similar mindset shift when I incorporated for the first time, actually, too. Like there's something about, like it's mostly just paperwork, but like once you do it and once you have this mindset shift of like, okay, like, I now have like X amount of resources and you you are incentivized to deploy resources more one when you are running it when you actually like have an incorporated company. Um, but but two, like it like I you said it perfectly, like it feels like joining the game and you're like, okay, now I understand, like I'm in it, like bought my ticket, hit play, here we go. And like let me just get to work on accomplishing more of, of what I want and like what are the resources I can marshal to do it. Um, and it's just very different. Um, it's an abundance mindset, or at least it was for me. A hundred percent, man. And I think that, like, I think it's really important for um, people in our generation to start doing this as early as possible, even if they, you know, have a great job, work other places, because the culture at large is a culture of take on debt. You'll never get out of it. Just keep working your job, pay that off monthly, like cruise, and that's just like really a huge bummer for like a life, yeah. you know, not the hero's journey. But if you look at our government, they're doing that. And then you look at like, you know, if you go to a, like basically any like good private school, like come out with so much debt. So then the idea of like, you know, spending a few hundred bucks here on like dinner or on like drinks or whatever is like, whatever. Cause like, I'm never getting out of my 60K in debt if I do this or not, you know what I mean? And so when you start to actually think about and a really good book that does that kind of like narrative, but with really good lessons is The Richest Man in Babylon, mm-hmm. where like that was a huge one for me just to be like, yo, every little, every little gold coin has the ability to make more gold coins if you use it correctly. And it's such a travesty to have like, especially when you're at a place where you're in debt or you're 
you know, not really sure what to do. People just like start saving for a house. It's like, that's going to be the thing where it's like, no, no, no. You can start to think in this owner mindset, in this like investor mindset, in this, if you just like set up an LLC and start selling like social media services to random people, you'll start to play the game super differently. Cause you know, you start, this is a company that anybody can create right now. Mm -hmm. And like, very well on is do like learn Facebook advertising on a weekend, you know, just crunch for a weekend, find like 10 clients doing that, realize how bad it sucks to do 10 clients, start hiring people to do it for you, give yourself like a 40% margin. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I just built a business that's like running and I'm making more money doing that than I am at my current job. I'll do both for a while. And then eventually like the economics just don't make sense. And you're just like, whoa. And we have this like myth that I hear all the time around like, health insurance. That's why I like want people who are 22 to be doing this. Like I have a someone working for me right now who's in college. Like my goal by the end of the summer is to convince him to drop out. Because I'm like, bro, you are wasting these next and I, he goes to the same school I went to, you know, I love it. I like am like on whatever for alumni stuff, like donate whatever. But it's just like, dude, you're wicked talented. You're wicked smart. You're just wasting time and spending money. When like you are only on your parents' health insurance until you're 26 in this country. And that though it's not the end of the world is an expense, you know. Like I pay five hundred seventy dollars a month for my health insurance, and it's like sucks. Um, but it's, I mean, you know, it's important. But it's just like what's crazy is under Obama and sorry, it's the tangent, but like it was you actually had a tax penalty if you didn't have health insurance. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I don't know, but yeah, they, yeah, they push you hard on it. Um, and like I, yeah, kind of get why, but um, I, I think that like. One of the things, if if I find I'm having a conversation with somebody about leverage and they can't wrap their head around it, I find they're usually not like every entrepreneur gets it, and a lot of people have like intuited their way towards it. And some people just like the ones who don't see the value of it are the ones with this like very linear relationship or very like um, a scarcity mindset. Like, and I think it's totally like your advice on like start small, no matter how small, incorporate early. It'll just shift how you think, and you will have an appreciation for the like the tools and the products and stuff that you can put to work for you. Um, and there's so many. I mean, like I think your story, like we can go into it in more detail. But like that year, year and a half of like I'm doing this thing, and it's working, and I need to figure out how to do how to do it in a scalable way. I need to figure out like. What are all the pieces I need to put together so that like I'm not the one doing every one of these little individual things? Um, and you, I've, I've heard so many stories of people doing that intuitively once they get their, some, themselves into a position where that rewards them instead of penalizes them. Yeah, hundred percent. And like again, like our a lot of the school culture is built for you to think the opposite, right? And it's almost yeah. like when you step into that incorporation, you actually start to think about it that way. It's almost like a mini gum jabar. You know what I mean? It's like you're yeah. human. It's like, oh, can I handle this? Because it's a little uneasy, you know. There are times where it's a little scary. I remember when I like hired on six more people to my team. Some of my team members had like software jobs that were really decided to like come with me for way less pay, and I'm like, oh, okay. So now I have like this responsibility, but it also is like amazing because like that pressure is, is a privilege to like help them operate better in the world and continue to do that. And that's like the it is like I think there's a ton of things wrong with America. Greatest thing that you can do to really again become a citizen, I think, is to start like incorporate, and then you can, yeah, just welcome to the game. And it's fun. <laughs> it is a game, you know. Like, yeah. and a huge privilege for me that it is a game. You know, I have a family that you know, not loaded by any means, but like, 
I'm never going to be homeless. I'll, you know, if everything goes horribly, like I can go live at home. You know what I mean? Um, if not, I have beautiful friends who would, you know, take care of me. Like I have that stuff. Like going through Tim Ferriss' fear setting thing is huge. Yeah. Time, like we only get one opportunity to be human. This is our humaning. You know, a lot of people choose to be like a part of the machine as opposed to choosing to be human. And I really think like you don't have to be the CEO of a company. But you can be a freelancer. You can make six figures being a freelancer. You can work like 15 hours a week doing super well in like a random niche and go live in Bali and like cruise your life. And, like, this is like, I get so excited when I see things like Singapore, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, um, used to be like Hong Kong, like all the Taiwan, like offering these incentives for young people to move there and have healthcare, internet, citizenship. For like not making that much money, like you don't have to be a billionaire to make that move work for you anymore, or a millionaire. Now, for Taiwan to become a citizen, you just have to prove that you've made sixty four k in a year. And there could be some people saying that that's like a lot to them, but if you're doing like an agency, and again, go back to that Facebook ads model, sixty four k in a year is like ten clients at six hundred bucks a month, which is like the easiest thing you can get for Facebook ads. Like most people do more like five to ten k a month per client, so. Yeah, and and that's a playbook that's generalizable to like whatever you are interested in, right? Like, there's ten things that would follow the same same model for um, anybody who needs to still get started. Um, yeah, thing on that is just the key yeah. you're buying with that is the mindset and time. It doesn't even have to like come to the revenue. Like, even if you hire people out to do it, you're only getting like ten percent of it. You're still a student, or you're still like at like a full time job. Mm-hmm. It's it's about shifting the mindset and buying time to realize you can. Like one of my closest friends, he um, he interned at the company I used to work for. He went to my college. He was in my fraternity. I started like kind of like mentoring him when he was a sophomore. He he was like from his freshman year doing an agency, doing web design, doing this stuff. By the time he graduated, you know, he was doing like six k a month. Um, but went to go work this kind of like. Big like healthcare job, and like I was like, "What are you doing? Why did you accept that? You already have the groundwork. Like, just go." Yeah. Oh, and he was like, "No, I just like you know the name, like all all ego stuff." I'm like, "Dude, you're not going to survive in there." I think he made it three months. I was crushing it, you know. He's 22 years old, like absolutely crushing it. And it's just like, and it, like, it, I think it's really important to start in the things that you're interested in. But I think the all like for me. It was always podcasting. Like I took a massive leap. I didn't have the system built. I went a very certain route, ate shit for a long time doing it, made like no money for a long time doing it. But it's because like I've always been very ethically morally driven. And I think this monetization system has to exist for us to like I think it's one of the, you know, five to seven things that's gonna lead to the destruction of our society if we don't get it right. So like mm. that's that. But you don't need to be interested in this. You should just be interested in your time. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. have to be a passion. It's just like I'm interested in playing video games. So like I'm gonna figure out how like I can teach people to like monetize on Twitch. Or it can be like I'm interested in playing video games, so I'm gonna make Facebook ads for random people for like five coffee shops around me so I can just play video games all the time. Cool. But you're in the game. Yeah. And I, like once you are and once you're in the game, you'll start to see other opportunities too. Right. Like just just kind of start playing the game. Like one of my friends is now at a very successful tech founder. Is like he was doing exactly what you described of of your buddy. Who's like started a social media agency in college and like 
was busy like taking phone calls from clients from small local businesses in the middle of class and like it wasn't like a super super successful agency by any means but like he was going through the motions and he was in the game and he was figuring it out and he was one of the first like people in my age cohort to build like a real successful like big company and i think like you just had a bit of a head start on the the game and the mindset just from doing that you should start yeah um so like I'm I'm super fascinated by the the systems that you built. So in that kind of like year year and a half between like brand new company and where you are now, which is like a, an amazing spot. And Modern Stoa is a super like, I mean, is helpful for me. But like I'm a small fry compared to some of the other people that you help out, and um, it's an incredible process. So like, what what were some of the biggest um, inflection points that got you from that kind of like one man band to this point where you're at now where this is kind of like you're able to just let that process run so you can focus on the next like big leap. Yeah. So, so I think it's really like smart to like start being just that one man person and always Mm -hmm. be thinking about like, how do I make this more efficient? Like it's like, like most of the people who gave me advice early on were saying, do everything yourself first try and find like the loopholes. Like one of the first things I did that became very helpful for me was I started only contacting advertisers that already sponsored podcasts. It's because you have the whole podcast directory. I can just go through top 100, see who's sponsoring podcasts. So I don't have to sell a brand on why you should sponsor a podcast. I don't have to sell a brand on you know how they understand performance metrics, all this stuff. I can just I don't have to sell them what a CPM is, why podcasting is like a super high CPM things. Um, cost per thousand views for those who don't know. And so that's where I started. Then um, I used free labor in the beginning and I didn't use it with the expectation of it really working for me, but as like a tool for me to try and see how bad I am at teaching people things, which I am horrible at. Um, <laughs> where did you where did you find free labor? So again, my the school I went to is in this very small, like 850 dudes. I like helped kind of build their um, center for entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship program. So I'm really close with the director of that. So he was paying people to work for me. And he did that even before I left, like started doing stuff for Aubrey. So I was running my own podcast. And I had this intern, Marcus Torres, Marcus, who was helping me with a lot of the podcast stuff. So like I was going through that motions with him, teaching him. He didn't have a summer job before doing Teach for America. So he came on, worked for me for the summer, and I realized like all of the spaces that I like wasn't communicating clearly, what he was good at, what I was good at, all this stuff. And then I met another one of my like college friends who had been doing SDR, like so sales for um, a tech company. And I said, Hey, can you teach us your sales process? So he did this like huge write-up that was this like two-page explaining like how to do sales from a tech company, how to pro- like prospect all this stuff perspective. And I was basically at that point saw how kind of good he was at thinking, saw that you know he was into the same stuff on the internet that I was. He was running marathons, like doing all this stuff. And I was like, can I hire you to do it? And so he was like, yeah. And so he really helped me build the sales scalability system. And so I think to distill a little bit, First step, do it yourself. Step in step, second step, try and teach somebody else to do it. Third step, find someone who does it better and have them teach that person to do it. Or if you can hire them, hire them. 
Um, when you're hiring people early on, you don't have a lot of cash. Like, don't ever give up pieces of your business, but you can give up pieces of deals. Um, so that's what I would focus on. Um, so that was a huge inflection point because then all of a sudden I wasn't doing any of the sales calls. I wasn't spending any of the time, um, like negotiating with brands. I wasn't doing any of the admin. All of a sudden, what I was focused on now, we had two clients. It was time to get more. Mm-hmm. And then that allows me, that gives me the space to then go out and get more clients. So, and also be very specific about the clients that we brought on. So I looked at the brands that we had and I tried to match who would be the best clients. And I also looked at the brand that I had with Aubrey and who was like kind of like a big fan of Aubrey. So then I started going through the like health and wellness podcast until I could like really kind of own a solid niche of that space. Yeah. Pivoting from like building on the strengths that you already had and taking like the next adjacent. <clears throat> Sort of clients, and um, that's awesome. I think it's all really smart. I think like that's a good example of people tend to like uh, not find the ways to make the next step smaller, and so I think they like psych up this like first. Oh my god, I like my first hire. Like that's I got to make a leap into like somebody's like fifty thousand a year and commit to it forever. And you found this brilliant little hack that's like actually like kind of learn how to manage an employee before. Before I even had to pay for one, so that I knew when I made that bet that I had like higher odds of winning it, and like that happened. I don't know. Like I feel like every step that you took was like a much smaller than most people think that step is, and you just like found a way to de-risk it before you went all in. Dude, one hundred percent. Like that's one of the things that I look at. My I don't know if it's like luck or skill, but I have every launch I've taken. I feel like. Unless I just totally screwed it up, it wasn't going to fail because I had kind of like set, had clients in mind, I had people in mind. I like made sure it was always in my favor. You know, like what Naval says, it's like just don't get out of the game. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only way to lose the game. Like don't go bankrupt and don't destroy your integrity. Right? It's like those are like the two things. And as long as you can stay in the game, you're in the game. Um, so like I, uh, that was definitely a huge part of it for me. The other thing is like working directly for Aubrey for so long and like being so close to him and watching how he managed stuff. And like, I learned like a ton from that experience. And like, but the two real things that I like, every time I don't listen to these two things, I'm like, I feel like I'm just stabbing myself in the back. First one, I said, I like, and again, I phrase these, I, I tell, I told him what I call these now. Like he thinks it's hilarious, but it's Nike that shit. So like, just do it. Stop waiting. Stop overthinking. Act. And like I'm an overthinker, like to a T. So like I spent, you know, the entire time I was at a pharma company thinking of this business. And even to this point, you know, like the thing that got me. I'll I'll get to that later. But okay. So then the other (laughs) is is move fast. Like Ari moves fast to a fault. It's like boom, instant, instant, instant. And like I like to be deliberate and smart. But knowing that about myself, or sorry, I would say deliberate and strategic. Um, knowing that about myself makes me realize that the thing that I just need to do like one to five percent better at is move faster. Yeah, probably be okay because I don't move that fast. Yeah, I think I mean both of those. Um, the version that I use that I think like both of those echoes like action reveals information. Like if you are uncertain, there's if you take an action, the next the right next step will reveal itself. And like I try to plan like steps three, four, and five. With not enough information, but if I take step one and two, like three, four, and five will seem obvious. Right? Yeah. This is one area where Dune is uh, uh, a bit of a trap because you know, 
there and think I'm a mentat and I can see like 40 steps ahead <laughs> and, and be like, good. And somehow the world does have a way of coming back to that point, but it's never the path that I thought it was going to take. And really, it's just like, take a step. Like in my journaling system, the tasks are called steps. Hmm. But it's like, just a step forward. Step forward I like that. Step forward. So give, a, um, give us a sense of like, if you if you can and are comfortable talking about it, like what you're what you're working on now and what you're hoping next step to uh, to put out. Um, and I think the teaser you gave me before was like Moneyball for podcasting. Which how, how can anybody just not get excited about that? Yeah. So so then from the sales thing, I kind of an, another forcing function happens where I had not done growth marketing for podcasts, even though I had like built a very unique skill set for that because. It seemed unstable to me. Oh, I didn't know how I could structure it in a way that it wasn't me working like seventy hours. Try, you're trying to figure out steps four, three, four, and five. Yeah, and I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And then um, Aubrey was like, "Yo, I don't want to do ads anymore, but I want you to help me grow the podcast again." And I was like, "Ah, all right, let me think about it." And then this network down here called Hot Pie Media. Who like has a ton of money? Who's building these like podcasting? I was like, we want you to take on five of our clients and grow them. And I was like, okay, this is knocking at my door like all the time. Then like another person reached out to me for it, and like two other ones. So like all these people were like, we need you to do this. And I was like, okay. So then I had to think through the model of like, what is like the MVP that I can do that I know will like kind of work in certain ways. So like one of the ideas that I've done for Aubrey Rot was like this kind of player optimization stuff, which is kind of the main thing that we did together, right? Like how do we start to rank for terms mm-hmm. and for these specific things? And then also like, you know, knowing that a lot of people really struggle to even just put out a podcast. You know what I mean? Like knowing where to put it, how to do it, how to claim your feeds, all that stuff. And then I kind of thought through what are the other problems that, you know, these podcasters seem to have and how do I like fit my team into that. So a lot of that was also creating content around the podcast, which you got really good at, mm-hmm. just in like a year. And uh, and so I started <clears throat> figuring out how to train people that, finding people for a team that could work on that, trusting Trey, who is my salesperson on the monetization side, that he can basically run the show there. And then started bringing these people on. And the one thing that I really wanted to know coming from like an economics background, coming from someone who's like obsessed with statistics is how to turn this art into any more of a science that we can. Mm-hmm. And so my buddy Ben decided to not take the software job and to come on and work with us. And so what we're trying to build is like what I call the money ball of podcasting. And essentially what we're doing is we're taking these massive amounts of data from every action that the podcaster does that we collect information through different links to see where they're going to different players, kind of like how we set up a podcast for you. We also, we do both podcast and chartable now, depending on what we're going for. We do like, you know, as many variables as we can pull together, we codify them in certain ways. And then we like regress that against increase or decrease in downloads based on the average. And so what we're starting to see is the real effect of some of these tactics that not only... So it's like one, making my product way more defensible, which is awesome. But like this is where we're going to really start to fully... like I have some really good theories that I've seen work in real life on hacking iTunes algorithms, hacking Spotify algorithms, stuff like that. But this is where we can start to like back in that data as we add clients on. It becomes this network where we're just crunching these numbers and starting to see... 
you know, what type of guests tend to resonate with this audience, help grow the most, what things, and I want to get to a point where we can somehow, when people say certain things or talk about certain subjects, so I can go to the host and be like, yo, you should say, so for Aubrey, it's like, you should say, or for Joe Rogan, let's say you should say like elk seven times and your podcast is going to do like one, like you'll get 1.5% more meetings made about you. You know what I mean? Which will then grow the podcast in this way. So really be able to break it down. And so that's what I'm really excited about from the agency perspective. And then what like I'm starting to advise my time on to, I essentially like went to the Bitcoin conference because this person who had asked me to come start working with them is creating this thing where they are kind of creating like a decentralized community platform for podcasters. And you can pay on the Lightning Network with Sats Network. It's super cool. Mm. But again, this was another like forcing function for me because one of my clients introduced us. And I was like, yo, this is the company. This is kind of the company that I was trying to build in 2016. And it just made me really wake up and realize like Polkadot is launching soon. This is the technology I believe in. With the failure of Clubhouse, sorry if that's like too strong. I don't know if that's fair for Clubhouse. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So we'll see. But I'm assuming it's that way. Like I just see this really good opportunity right now to build what I've always wanted to envision. So like I'm actually getting to a point where my goal is to once again scale this agency from the growth and the monetization standpoint to where I'm spending, you know, no more than like five hours a week on it. Yeah. And dedicate like 50 hours of my week to really actually building this vision of this technology platform that allows people to like monetize their audience directly. And like I'm incredibly excited about it. I'm thinking through what the MVP of that is going to look like. Um, you know, right now with Polkadot not existing yet, it's not quite feasible. Yeah. Um, but with Ethereum 2.0 and Polkadot coming out, I see now is the time to start building for on these platforms to be able to do some of this stuff. And like, just imagine, dude, like one of the biggest problems I see that could like derail us as a society and derail creators is deep fakes. And like, I got privy to like some really early deep fakes of Rogan, like three years ago where he was just saying things he had never said before. And like, it wasn't malicious. It was people sending it to me trying to be like, yo, can you find a way to get this in front of Aubrey or Rogan so that you can see it? Cause they're excited. Like, look what we did. And yeah. it was, Oh, this is not good. But check this out. This is like, you know, NFT hype was super sick. And I'm like super stoked on it because again, it allows creators to monetize in a different way. But also what it does is it validates the source of something. So if we can start mm -hmm. to say that this content came from this creator through our system, through an NFT, and then they can also make money on top of that. Like if we can start to clip like in real time on a platform, the segment of like that moment of Elon smoking a blunt on Joe Rogan and sell that and Rogan can immediately sell that. You know what I mean? Like, we can really start to do this. And so I am like all in on that. So if anybody yeah. has some sort of like knows um, <clears throat> any of the kind of like Ethereum to Polkadot style like development languages, um, that would be awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a super compelling vision. I hope I hope somebody is a solidity dev and reaches out to you immediately and you guys build this. Um so I think it solves a, a I mean a ton of problems that we're we already have and are going to have in the future. And, you know, I'm, I'm enough of a like Charlie Munger fan that like we, we're always underestimating the power of incentives. And I think your insight about like the insight of the current alignment of incentives of all of media is not a good thing for society. And like, God, I hope we can fix that. Um, and I'm, I'm also optimistic that crypto can like provide the platform for it. 
and I, I don't know. I love the vision. So somebody email this man and start building. Please do sky at modernstow.co. Please email. And again, if you do know Solidity, like uh, Substrate is like way simple comparatively. And so Gavin, the guy who's creating Polkadot, actually wrote, like created Solidity. I think that's how you say it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he created it. And so he built Substrate to be able to like integrate with it. They use Rust as well. Um, uh, yeah. You can tell uh, Sky's shilling Polkadot low key, and I'm low key shilling Ethereum. And that's just how this is going to go. <laughs> Uh, so I think like I love I, I've seen so many of like Nathan Barry's maybe the clearest example, but I like now that I've heard your whole story in one like kind of stretch, I think it's it, it is like this like this intuition towards higher leverage business models, right? Like you did this for yourself for somebody who um, or you had you had a job doing this and built these skills, then you did it for that same client yourself. Then you took on new clients and built this agency and like kind of scaled with with tools and people, and now you're like using that capital to go build like the platform product software version, which, I mean, a lot of startups I think are so risky because they try to leap straight to that like huge platform and they and they miss all of the like skills and talents and insights on the way. And so, I some of I think the best software companies and platforms have been built out of agencies. Um, I've, I've seen it happen a few times. And like, I think it's, it really reduces the risk of failure um, to kind of have that... To, to decrease the size of the steps like we were talking about, right? And like, yeah. you're, you're already handy with some of these forms of leverage and you're just adding others. Um, and, but the outcome gets so much crazier. Yeah. I hope it does, right? I really hope it does. And like, I really... I think back to, you know, what I would tell myself when I was in college or when I was like working for Lily um, is that back to the Elon thing that Elon is twenty four, yeah. and it's like, look, I don't have capital, I don't have tech knowledge, I don't have like anything at that point. But what I did have is like, okay, I, I'm obsessed with this medium, and I know it's super important. I know I, I've learned enough marketing and learned enough about finding insights and like behavior of humans, and been obsessed with that for long enough that I know if I can get in the room, I can make it better than it is there. And and then it's literally just been like, I have this thing that I wrote like four years ago that's like modern Stoa 0.0, modern Stoa like 0.5, 1.0, and then Stoa as like the final platform. And it's literally these things. And it's like leverage capital, leverage learnings, leverage network, upwards, 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 right? And so like not only do I have now like one, like a ton of podcasters trust me to monetize their platform. So when I do say, hey, like make the switch and you'll like make money, like I have years of credibility at this point. Because yeah. like I'm the thing that provide like I help them do the thing they love and make money from it. Yeah. And, and they hate reading ads. Like even for brands they like, it still like kind of sucks. You know, it's not creative, it's not fun. So like just Really, like I try and position myself in a way that is going to allow me to again just increase the length of that lever, little by little. Hell yeah, I love that. Um, can we take a swing at solving this Winklevi mystery uh, and then <laughs> wrap up from there? Um, for anybody who's not already following Sky on Twitter, like highly recommend at Consumer Sky because he's fucking hilarious. Um, I don't know if anyone who takes Twitter less seriously, but it's a good time. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I there's like I actually had like a moment 
one, I take it less seriously. Nobody really like follows me, so it's chill for now. <laughs> Never changes. But like, I literally tweeted out last Friday. I was like thinking about the mouthfeel of tofu in my mouth, and I was like, "You ever just like tongue fucks and tofu?" You responded to it to me. It's like I'm dying laughing. It's like like if you've had like Korean soft tofu, it just feels so like nice. Yeah, man, I I get it. Uh, I, <laughs> the tweets that the tweets that you like, or I I love just like putting out that if I'm giggling it while I'm writing it, like that's worth it. Like I don't I don't even care what happens after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the okay, so uh, is Twitter the best place for people to like get a hold of you if they want to yeah. contribute? Here's the best place, or just email me. Um, check my email at least twice a week, so that's probably a pretty solid place. Like, like I don't know. Again, I don't know if I want people to follow me on Twitter because I do tweet some heinous stuff. You know what I mean? Like, cool <laughs> by conspiracy. I'm like very deep in this right now. I'm trying to figure that out. Um, so you said, did you see it in person? I, I took those photos. Those photos are me taking those photos. I saw it in person. Oh no shit! Okay, there's yeah. they have like matching neck scars, like right scars, like three inch scars, like right under the neck, and I was just like. I'm sitting there like in this in the crowd and like me and my buddy Ben are just like, what is that? Like, what is that? Like, why is nobody talking about that? I was hoping Tim Dillon would start like because he was interviewing them, he's the most hilarious comedian who says like the most absurd stuff. So I was really hoping he would like be the one to call him out on that day. But it is like so strange. And I've gotten some theories from people, you know. My main theory right now is like Tim was trying to it was very obvious Tim was trying to get a clip of them shitting on Elon and they like they wouldn't take the bait. And so I'm thinking like Elon had him tied up the night before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was I was heading in the direction that like they each had like half of the their seed phrase like put into a little <laughs> pill and like inserted into the right. Like that seems like it could totally be it as well. And then like you take it out to mind. Like it's something though because like that is weird. <laughs> like, or, or one of them got a facelift, so the other one had to get a facelift so that it wasn't so noticeable. Dude, something. There is something here because, like, okay, they're identical twins, like, very hard to tell apart, like, look very similar, do the same things always together, road teammates, like, all that stuff, right? But there's no way that two humans operating in the world just have the same <laughs> neck for, like, no reason, you know? No, there's definitely a story, you're right. Um, and we got to get to the bottom of it. I do. <laughs> Lizard people, bro. I mean, let's just throw that one out there. <laughs> Uh, cool. Okay. Uh, I think I think I'm out of questions, man. But I'm I super duper appreciate like you coming and telling your story and everything that you've done to kind of help this podcast take off. I hope we have a long and happy podcasty and non podcasty relationship because um, and I love this vision and I hope I hope I can help bring it about in some small way. Um, I think it's magic. And I think you're right that the podcasting medium is magic and it brings authenticity. And if we can bring alignment and authenticity, like we'll, we'll really get somewhere good. For sure, man. Yeah, I just want to thank you too, dude. Like you have one, like I think you have a great like energy way about you. I think you bring a lot of good stuff out of people. It seems like, you know, you really like tend to like believe in people and then they like really like believe in you too. And, you know, being a part of this leverage group in the Slack channel is like super sick. All these like amazing people who are just so stoked to be your friend. So you're doing like many, many things right. Thank you so much. I'm really glad we got to connect. Love the Nevalman Act. Like that distillation was amazing. I'm excited to see what else you produce. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, do you have any, like, just if you could like distill, summarize, think through, like, you know, let's think of that like 21 year old who's listening to this, who's in school or like going into summer, like what would be a way for them to actually like work on their, their leverage if it's not incorporating and it's just like them in their day-to-day life? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, step... I, I like having the like get in the context where you feel the benefits of leverage and that will like kind of make it feel intuitive. Um, I think if incorporating is like scary and not the right thing, then like being a freelancer gets you there. Like take on any client job or project um, where like you have some agency to kind of figure out how to get it done. Uh, I think that like can get you a long way. Um, I think the way you you took the example from Richest Man in Babylon, but like treat every dollar like a resource or like an employee, like give it a good job. And I mean, your story like is a good example, like build skills and credibility and find a way to help people. Like, I think that's an underrated form of leverage. Like that's, I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. I didn't do it intentionally, but like I accidentally offered to make a book for Naval and like, he was like, sure, go ahead. And that went like just kind of happened from there, right? Um, and so I think you can provide leverage for others um, and just like look for ways to do that. Like we we both started or or had huge step ups in our career by like finding somebody with huge reach and finding a way to help them improve or deepen that reach or monetize it or whatever, right? Um, and that's it's like step. I'm a lever. Yeah. 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 And I think that like we are all someone else's leverage. So like don't be afraid to go in there, be somebody else's leverage. You'll build up your skills and you'll perform at a higher level because you're accountable to somebody you deeply respect. Um yeah. it's it's a scary leap, but like um I can't remember the Latin that you used for that, you know, the uh Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Take find find a leap and take it. One other weird piece of advice that I would give to like a 21 year old. Is like, you know, have fun being 21, but like look at your peer group and drink half of the alcohol they do. Whether that be at like a night out or a day of the week kind of thing, like just get ahead of that curve because it is a like it is a momentum destroyer. So like be aware of that, have fun, be a kid, like do whatever you want, but like start to think through that a little bit because our culture is not necessarily set up for someone who wants to go and build their own world. Like our culture tends towards people just going and working for other people. So. Yeah. Yeah. I like find your way into the subculture that like resonates with who you want to be as quickly as you can. Like, yeah. I, w- I was lucky to find that at school. Um, it took some work and it was like you have to be intentional about finding a way to get around the people that you want to be like. Um, but don't be afraid to like change context until you can find that. Yeah. I'm still doing that. Right. Like, that's what I do. Like, every time I talk to you, it's like, I want to go hang out with Sky because like, I want to be more like him in some ways. And I I hope we bring out the best in each other. For sure, brother. Appreciate that. Cool. All right, man. Talk to you later. See you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you hanging out with us today. We had a great time. I hope you had some fun too. Thanks to Sky for taking the time and for helping me assemble and distribute a quality podcast here. You can get in touch with me and Sky on Twitter or email. um, And I'll leave you with this one small thought. Putting cream cheese on sandwiches is deeply underrated. And uh, did you know they actually have jalapeno cream cheese now? Go get it.
the Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.